Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. episode 73 this week's feature if you like pandemic try out these games our at the table segment has me going deep underground daniel getting euphoric and anthony boldly going where no man has gone before you're listening to a proud member of the dice tower network dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming it's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Daniel. Welcome to the episode, everybody. Before we get started, we wanted to give a shout out to our good friends Dave and Chris for jumping in on the last episode. We really enjoyed having them on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime you can bring your friends on and talk about the stuff you've been playing, I mean, that's the whole point of this, right? And it was a lot of fun. So thanks, guys, for hopping on. Hopefully we can have you on again real soon. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of which, if you did like having Dave and Chris on, send some shout-outs over to them, and we'll pass them on to them. We really want to have them back on. And So that being said, we also wanted to remind you for the very last time, I promise, Episode 74 is our listener feedback episode. So just like we had Dave and Chris on on episode 72, we want to have you on for episode 74. And I absolutely positively have to give a big thanks to Daniel for being so gracious to volunteer Anthony during this time. You know, it's important that we all sacrifice uh, what we can to make this sort of partnership work and, uh, I have uh, sacrificed a lot by making Anthony sacrifice. Uh, it was really I a very, but I'm glad to give for the group. That's that's leadership, man. You got to be strong. You got to be strong to put someone else out there like that. So happy to do it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times, good times. Well, once again, Daniel, thank you for your selfless volunteering of Anthony during this very difficult and troubling times. We definitely all appreciate it. So that being said, we want to let you know once again, our Facebook, our Twitter, our website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. It has our email addresses there. It has a place there where you can contact us and post a comment there. Our guild on Board Game Geek, our iTunes account. You could leave us five stars. You could put some comments in there. Our Stitcher account. However you can get through to us, we would love to hear from you because we want to have an episode full of your comments, questions, ideas, statements, shout outs. We really want to make this episode all about you. So we're really looking forward to those comments coming up. And I think, Anthony, we actually have a whole bunch coming in, right? Yeah, yeah, we've gotten a lot of great feedback, hearing from people all the time. And, you know, you guys are great anyways. Everybody's always reaching out to us and contacting us. And I put questions out there all the time on social media. People get back to us on those. It's great. We've actually gotten a handful of really good episode ideas from the responses we get just normally so it's been great to get kind of this influx and we've actually have a couple people who've hopped on and recorded quick interviews so 
if you're listening to this like the first day or two it comes out and you want to do that hit me up and we'll try to schedule something in we have a little bit more space available or if you have a question or a comment or whatever it is we will read it we will share it that is the point of all this is to get your voice out there so hit us up absolutely so with that said, let's get on to the fun part of it. Let's get on to the games. Let's get on to our acquisition disorders. And now, our acquisition disorders. Acquisition disorders? That's crazy. Only needs the base game. Nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and, of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. See? That's not too much. But maybe, I don't know, maybe you might need the expansion. So for this week, I want to hit a bunch of different acquisition disorders really quickly. First off, I wanted to talk about one acquisition that I recently picked up that a lot of people on Board Game Geek were really looking forward to and are kind of questioning whether or not they should pick that up. That is the Small World Designer Edition. So this is the Kickstarter edition with this beautiful wood box, wood components, beautiful sculptured miniatures that go along with the game. And it's really outstanding, honestly. One of the funniest things was when I finally got this in the mail, I had no idea how big this thing would be. And it's this giant kind of cube, and it's got beautiful components, great metal coins, outstanding wood pieces. The boards are just like the regular boards, which is actually very disappointing. But above and beyond that, it was a pretty good purchase. Now, when I got this as part of the Kickstarter, it was at promotional discount, and it came with a lot of expansions and some you know, additional kind of little pieces to go along with it. But now it's on sale for the public, and the current price is $450. Now, for me personally, when I looked at this, I wasn't too sure if I was going to pick this up to begin with because I own pretty much everything Small World up to this point in cardboard version, and I wasn't sure if the wood version was going to be really worth the money. But being that I was able to get the Small World designer edition with a number of expansions and everything else that came along with it for $320. I thought that this would be something that I would probably keep and pass down for, you know, generations and such. And just maybe like War of the Ring, this might be something that might be eventually collectible and, you know, kind of like an heirloom piece that, you know, you would keep in the home. And that's pretty much the the situation because if you do pick up this small world designer edition i highly recommend that you just leave this at home it's almost impossible to move there's no handles on the side the wooden box is beautiful but i can guarantee you that probably the smallest of scratches would probably leave an indelible mark on this thing which would, would just cry forever and it's heavy it's quite heavy it's not the type of designer edition that you're going to be able to transport to other places and personally right now I'm keeping it in the box that it came in I'm actually hoping to pick up a suitcase of some sort that has enough padding but I'm going to say if you haven't picked this up previously and you aren't getting it for the about the $300 mark $450 for this version that's not going to get play that's not going to be able to be transported easily I would probably recommend a pass on this just because while it does have the beauty it does have the quality it does have everything you expect from a days of wonder designer edition the base game is so good already i think that's really all you need at this point well another acquisition i want to talk about really quickly and honestly this is just because the miniatures on this really kind of stood out it's called arcade now this has been getting a lot of buzz on board game geek in the hotness area because all you have to do is just click on it, and if you're a child of the 80s, or even if you'll notice that these tank pieces, this little miniature tactical game, has these acrylic tanks and these other acrylic pieces that I swear to you is probably the closest board game version of Tron I've ever seen in my entire life. And it looks great. And it's $160. And I'm not picking it up. <laughs> but it it's definitely worth a look. 
And if this eventually hits the US market and somehow it was kind of a little bit cheaper or became available in a different format, I would have to pick this up if they don't get sued first. So that's Arcade. Something to take a, you know, keep an eye out for. And the final thing I want to talk about is Epic Card Game. This is a Kickstarter project from the people that brought us Star Realms. Now, if you remember Star Realms, it's a two-player deck building game. Really cheap, really inexpensive, but an outstanding, fun little game. And it really kind of refreshed the deck building genre for me. It was about 15 bucks, and you could play... You know, with two players, the app was free, so you could jump on and play with that. Really smart, really innovative. And now this now this really boringly titled game, Epic Card Game, is almost a reskinning of Star Realms, but the reskin, the artwork here is amazing. And once again, it's about $15 to $20 if you want to pick up the additional promos. It's on Kickstarter right now. And it wraps up Tuesday, June 30th, 2015. So if you have a chance, I'd highly recommend jumping on right now. They are way, way, way past their pledge goal. Clearly, this was just a pre-order. But this is a game I've played, you know, in the Star Realms version. I'm really looking forward to this. And I have to thank and blame Chris, who was on last episode, because... We're friends on Kickstarter, and I see everything he backs, and he drags me into these games. And while I would normally just wait to pick this up at the store because it's definitely going to get produced, the idea that for $5 more you can pick up the promos, I can't resist. I will be backing this game. And that's all my crazy acquisition disorders this week. What about you guys? <laughs> nice list. Yeah. You just spent like, I don't know, $800 of someone's money out there. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to, it's really hard because I love Small World so much. I want everyone to go out and buy this designer edition. And yet at the same time, I just can't do it to you guys. I really can't. Well, just keep, if you just can wait a week or two, guys, I imagine this will eventually sell out. There's enough fans out there. They will buy them all. There's no way they're making that many. Just no, sit on your so. hands for like two weeks. I mean, for me, I thought when I was going to buy this designer edition, the first thing I was going to do was sell all my Small World stuff because I wasn't going to need any more. It's just so massive. I can't do it now. I have to keep it both. Orders so. on a piece of furniture, really. Yes. Yeah, you need like a big room and it's like a permanent installation. Mm -hmm. It is. And I just can't understand why they didn't put handles on this thing because it's, it's so slick and so large and so awkward that you just you can't easily move it at all. Yeah, for sure. All right. So um, I have one acquisition disorder this week, and this is a uh, it's a game I wouldn't have known anything about except the designers actually shot me an email, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. It's up on Kickstarter now. It's called Ether Wars. And the whole shtick of the game is that it's an RTS board game, of which there are many games that um, kind of pitch themselves that way, but it uses dice instead of miniatures. So it's got a bunch of unique dice in the game and call it a dice troop system. But obviously because you're rolling the dice, it's going to affect how those things are placed out on the board. There's a lot of things going on here. Um, it's asymmetrical gameplay with four different species. It's got resource management, pulling out different resources and building up your economy and then moving around these different dice based on their actions. So when you look at it at first, you see the board and you say that looks like it should have miniatures and it doesn't. But the cool thing is, if you're used to going to Kickstarter and being annoyed at how much money it takes from you, is that that makes it a normal-priced <laughs> board game. This game's actually ready to roll. They're not, like, finalizing artwork or anything. Everything looks really good. Um, and just kind of a really cool cover there, too. So it's it's a game I'm interested to see more of. It's not one I've played, so this is more just my uh, interest level, kind of looking from the outside in and seeing how kind of the, the board sets up there. It does have a, a very evocative feel to a lot of other kind of almost neonish sci-fi rts type games uh, you can see when the board put together there it's you know that big kind of multicolored planet with quadranted it up but it'll be interesting to see how the dice play out anytime you're using dice uh, as units um, it either works really well or not so well it really depends on how much play testing went into it and then kind of how it's going to balance out with the four different asymmetrical powers there so interested to see how this one rolls i know these guys have been working on this for a long time so i wanted to give them a shout out and uh, hopefully, you know, if, if you're interested in that and want to take a look at it, head over to Kickstarter. Totally silly question here. You said this is an RTS board game. I assume you mean that they're trying to make a board game that feels like an RTS, not a game that actually plays in real time. Yes. 
Okay. Yeah, they're they're referencing mm. you know the video game genre RTS. Okay. It's not literally I, a real time board game. Because there's that one like it's a, it's a Cthulhu game I think right where you're like you're rolling dice manically and rah, and there are a couple of party games that are real time sort of games where there are no turns you just go until you get it. Yeah, that would be chaotic. And if you look at all the components on the board here, I do not think that would work. But... Yeah, I was a little confused at first. That sounds terrifying, but okay. All right. But, I mean, that there's a few games we've played that kind of have that real-time element. I mean, again, I have not played this game, so I don't know where that kind of comes in or how it's an element of that. They are using dice. I know we played Steam Park. That was kind of like a real-time element. You could, Everybody kind of rolled dice in tandem. Yeah, Space Cadets Dice Duel kind of uses a similar theme. Everybody's kind of moving in real time. A couple of other games, mm -hmm. Time and Space is a little like that. So it's doable. I don't know if you could do the whole game like that. But Yeah, I don't think you could do, a, a, especially like a strategy game. I feel like that would feel very, uh, you know, a sort of a large strategy game. Anything that's supposed to feel significantly strategic as opposed to luck-based. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the very least, you have to break it down into turns, um, short turns. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. But yeah, I think they're referencing the video game genre. More than <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so that's our acquisition disorders for this week. And now, At the Table with BGA. All right, so our At the Table this week, we got three interesting games for you. Uh, Anthony, why don't you take it away? All right, cool. So my... My anniversary was actually last weekend, so my wife and I, we didn't do very much because children and whatnot, but the <laughs> one thing that you can do when you have an anniversary is you carve out some time. So my part of that time, that what I got, to, what I chose to do was a board game, um, of course, So, uh, but I, I did ask uh, Margaret to pick what game she wanted to play, and she picked out uh, Star Trek Catan, so pulled that one out i have not actually played it since i picked it up when it was on clearance at target so it means it's been sitting there for like a year when she picked star trek Catan, you knew how right you were to pick that yeah right as, <laughs> and as people listening as, right now, as your like, life mate fair, dude. <laughs> it's like that indiana jones scene in the last crusade where you're picking up the, the right chalice <laughs> wisely <laughs> yeah i mean she's a huge star trek fan so that was like when i when i first uh grabbed that um at Target, she's like, oh, I didn't know that because we'd also play Catan. And she's like, oh, that's great. I didn't know they made it together. And I'm like, yeah, it's the same game, just with these extra cards. And it's funny because the box for Star Trek Catan says three to four players. But you can play Catan with two players. It's not great with two players, by the way, but mm -hmm. we enjoy it because, you know, we're not going to – we're not too ruthless. There's not really much trading, so it's all about the dice rolls. But, <laughs> <laughs> hey, can you uh, give me uh, some sheep so I can beat you? No? No, okay. I'm not doing that. Um <laughs> But we just played without those cards, without those cards. Okay. Kind of with two people, it would have thrown things off a little bit. Um, but it was fun, you know. Both of us got to spend the whole time referencing the, the cards and trying to remember what all the differences were. That's the tough part about Star Trek: Catan. Is <laughs> you're like, all right, so which one's the sheep? Is that the tritanium or the the lithium or the the, the what oxygen? What is this? <laughs> like it's all color coded differently. Um, and then all your roads are the Starship Enterprise, and you keep thinking that should be yes. the city, but the city's not. The city <laughs> is like these weird pillars, and it's not even like a space station. It's just the pillar, but then you put the space station on top of the pillar. Um, it all makes perfect sense once you've played through it, but the first time through, you're like, wait, hold on. All of this is wrong, <laughs> uh, and yet it's still so awesome because you get all the little Star Trek pieces all over the board. Um I like it. It's the rules are exactly the same as Catan, so I don't need to like go through any of that or review it. I think we actually reviewed this. Yeah, episode fourteen. But it's a fun game. We had fun, and it's it's one of those things that you can just kind of pull out, and everybody knows how to play Catan. But it's a different version, so people are they're, it's they're excited to do something different with the game they already know. The major difference, like you said, other than the reskinning, is the choice of player powers when you start off. Yeah, so you got all these cards. It's all the different characters from the original series and the movies. And you pick a card. They'll be laid out. Everybody picks a card. And the card will have something in it like, you're immune from sevens this turn. But you actually have to activate that card. If you activate it, you flip it over. If you activate it again, it goes back to the pool, and you have to pick a new card. So you can't just keep using mm -hmm. that power. If you use it up, it goes back to the pool. Someone else can take it. So the cards rotate around a little bit. Okay. A couple of them are more powerful than others. don't remember all the exact powers, but I know Spock was pretty good. People fight over that one. Mm -hmm. so. so this was the base game, not the the new map, right? No, I never picked that one up, if only because I never actually got this one to the table since I bought it. But sure. there is a there is the new maps, right? 
Yeah, I have the new maps. I haven't gotten that to the table yet either, but it's supposedly the whole Star Trek universe kind of laid out, and it still plays like a tan, but it doesn't have that kind of round kind of board. It's kind of spread out, and there's just some spots where if you build a star base, you get a victory point. So it's kind of remastered a little bit. That's cool. Yeah, I definitely want to try that one out because I know there's a lot of cool things you can do with Catan. I really never got into all the different varieties and variations of it other than like the player power part so if i'm mm-hmm. gonna do it i'm gonna do it in the star trek universe I feel like this is like a deep dark confession for someone in the board game community i do not like Catan, like not at all <gasps> I, no not even remotely not even a little bit no no even the first time i played it was just bored yeah i could see yeah, that i mean once you've played all the other awesome new stuff that comes out if you don't have that nostalgia for it I feel like that would happen very easily. Be bored, so yeah. I um, almost didn't get into board gaming because of Catan. Wow! I, like, I, I played it with a friend, and it was so dull that I was like, "Oh well, if this is the best they've got, not much going on here." <laughs> well, that's well, a, I suppressed sc- that instinct, though. <laughs> a scathing indictment, but um, I don't know. It's good mindless fun. It's not something like if you want it, any kind of euro or anything you think about. It's not the game you want to play, but... But I don't begrudge anyone else who enjoys it. It's just, you know... I hope not. Not Like half our audience. (laughs) I'll hunt you down! How dare you enjoy something I don't enjoy! (laughs) (laughs) Well, I found that the Star Trek Catan does make Catan a lot better, and I I think it's it's more than just that it has a Star Trek theme, and I happen to be uh, a Trekkie. It's just the player powers kind of smooth things out so if people aren't trading with you or if it's just taking way too long it kind of makes things a little nicer as far as actually getting to play the game and the opportunity to to choose what player power you're going to pick at a certain time is a lot more tactical throughout the game and i think that was one of the things that Catan was really missing because you could get yourself into a spot and just be stuck and you're there for a really, really, really long time. And it's also one of those games that it's based upon trading. And if you don't have a group of people that are really interested in trading or really strategic with their trading, it breaks down rather quickly. Yeah. Well, a game that I was able to get to the table this week is The Phantom Society. This is a game by ILO. And it was something that I really wanted to get to the table. Now, I was able to pick this up through the famous... Barnes and Noble slash and burn sales that they tend to have. And I say that because while it was something I wanted to get to the table, it didn't look like too much of a game. So let me explain. The Phantom Society game is basically made up of two teams. One team is the ghosts. One team is the ghost hunters. The ghosts secretly place their ghosts under these cardboard squares. And then throughout the game, what they'll do is destroy rooms that are adjacent to their ghost that is hidden and the ghost hunters are flipping over these tiles in order to discover which room the ghost is in if the ghost hunter discovers the ghost that ghost is inactive and if they discover all four ghosts that round comes to an end if the ghosts are able to destroy forty-five thousand dollars worth of rooms they win if they're not able to do that the ghost hunters win but as the ghost hunters are flipping over these tiles Every time they do so and not find the ghost, they've destroyed the room and they have to pass that tile over to the ghost. So it is possible to kind of give the game away if you're not really thinking strategically, if you're not... I played this with family and it was okay. It's a very light kind of activity game. I don't know if I would consider this a game as much as I would an activity But it's worth the play. I don't know if I'll come back to it. This is probably something more along the lines for younger people. But the artwork is great. And uh, it's a fun time, at least once or twice. But I think that's about as far as the game goes. And that is The Phantom Society. How about you, Daniel? Anything at your table? All right, well, so not this week, but last week, 
Uh, I had Euphoria hit my table. Euphoria, build a better dystopia. And Euphoria is one of the games I picked up at, at auction back at Dream Nation. And I got it for a steal, less than half of its MSRP. So, you know, good time. And finally got it out. Euphoria is a game where you place workers who are dice to procure resources, spend those resources on developing marketplaces, or spend those resources on grabbing control of land in one of the four districts that are sort of doled out to various castes of people in the dystopian society of tomorrow. Your goal is to place your 10 influence markers representing your rise from a sort of like a middle management henchman in the dystopian bureaucracy to lord of all uh, as quickly as possible before other players do. Uh, you do that through uh, building marketplaces, through exerting your influence at those marketplaces, and through a couple of other abilities from certain cards and that sort of thing. It's a bit of a fiddly game, so I'm not going to go much deeper than I have into the rules because we'd be here a while. Uh, which is, in my view, probably the biggest warning sign about Euphoria. The biggest thing to look out for is it is fiddly. There's stuff to keep track of. There's a lot of stuff to keep track of, and... It's easy to forget things. Now, luckily in this game, when you forget something, more often than not, it just hurts you. At least that's been the case for me, is when I forgot something, I forgot things that benefited me, not hurt other people, right? So I didn't have to be like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Haha, ha, you're actually losing. It was more, oh, look, I shot myself in the foot. Oh, well, that's fine. Uh, even when Rado played through, he forgot a bunch of stuff. Everybody forgets stuff when they play Euphoria the cu first couple times. Meh. No big <laughs> deal. But I had a really good time playing Euphoria. I will point out that we played with the uh, worker cards from the very first edition, or the recruit cards from the very first edition, which have now been replaced. And I have the replacements, thanks to Anthony, who, who gave them to me since he doesn't have the base set. Uh, and any future printings of the game have these modified... Uh, sort of rebalanced cards. So our play was a little bit unbalanced, partially because I think four or five of the 16 cards that have been replaced all hit the table, and they hit the table like bunching in people's hands. So one person got two or three, another person got two or three, and then everyone else had sort of lower-end cards. Uh, but overall, I had a really great time. It's a game I really want to bring out again because... It's a little bit was a little bit hard to enjoy the first time I played it because I was teaching the game and because it's so fiddly, that meant I had to pay a lot of attention to things other than actually playing the game. But even so, I had a good time. Uh, Chris, Anthony, you guys are there. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was an interesting game. It was I knew it was going to be a little fiddly because of how long it took us to kind of get through the rules and the group of players there are very experienced with these types of games. And we we had to go back to the rule book a couple times and kind of rehash a couple things as you told us and it was well taught it wasn't that wasn't the issue it was just so much stuff on the board stuff everywhere once you get into it though it's all relatively intuitive it all makes sense nothing is like i i never had a problem where i was like oh i forgot that was on the board it's just it's a worker placement game with ice so you just have to kind of keep track of where everything's at but like to daniel's point yeah you do forget things are options especially with the player powers you have i think at the end i had three player powers in front of me from the recruit cards i was only using the one that being the one that kind of was super broken and helped me win the game. But in general, it was enjoyable. I could tell there were some issues. I, I have a hard time passing judgment when I know that card and some other cards were a little off. And in that particular case, that card did win me the game. By how much, I'm not sure, but that was like how the game ended. So it is, it's a little tough to make judgment calls on that side. The game did end really fast. Uh, once you start ramping up points, like I think the last two or three rounds of the game, uh, for me, I kind of just doubled my points and we were done. So <laughs> I could tell that was a little frustrating for other people who were still not quite at 80, 90% on their engines yet. So a little fiddly, obviously some balance issues that were addressed. So I just need to play with those new cards. I do want to play it again, though. It's not a dodge for me. I'd like to play. I don't think I'd pick it up necessarily. There's a lot of other worker placements I like better. But I think it's got enough cool, interesting things and a lot of different replayable options that it's worth playing through. The board's beautiful. The dice mechanic is really smart. I like the theme a lot. It's really interesting, this kind of dystopian future and all these different factions. And it it's, you know, reminds me of so many different sci-fi movies. And it's so interesting. 
And obviously it has the great components, especially if you pick the deluxe level up. But I think that the fiddliness of this game, and there's so many things to kind of manage and keep track of, really does diminish this game quite a bit. I look at this game like this is Viticulture. This is the other Jamie Stegmeier game. And then he did a refined version of Viticulture Tuscany, which people still like Viticulture, but everybody that I met, everyone I've read has said that Tuscany is the the polished version of this. And I would really like to see Euphoria to get a cleaned up, more polished version because I think there's so many good things about this game, but it just gets bogged down in, in its good intentions. And the game kind of like, it's a, it's a bit of a, you know, you have to slog your way through it a little bit. And it's a shame because I think that maybe with an expansion or maybe with like a Tuscany version of this game, I think it would really spruce the game up a lot. Yeah, uh, I think there is room to improve, but I, I think maybe a little more positive on it. But I own it, so I have to love it. It's my baby. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's your child of course you do so uh so this is what i got to the table uh this last gaming session all right so that's everything for at the table this week and now bga's feature review so anthony why don't you tell us about our feature review which is if you like pandemic Try out these games. All right, awesome. So we are back with our most popular feature. Thank you all listeners for letting us know what you want to hear. Giving you kind of a rundown of games that are similar to or in the same vein or related to in some way to these classic games that you kind of see all the time at the table. And whether you own it or you just see it a lot and you want to play something different, Pandemic is everywhere. So this is a good one. So Pandemic, it's the classic co-op game in which you are trying to cure the world of various diseases before the world is completely overrun and there's not much left you can do. So it's a cooperative game in which you are collecting different cards. Those cards will match the colors of various diseases on the board. At the same time, every time a person takes a turn, you're going to be flipping other cards that may include potential there's epidemics you might have to face but there's also cards that are going to flip that are going to show you where you're going to place new cubes around the board and if too many cubes land on a single city it spreads so you have to kind of mitigate and manage and reduce the number of cubes at any one point to keep it below that spreading point while at the same time trying to cure a disease which you'll do by collecting a set of like colored city cards so everybody's collecting cards but you can't really share them unless you're in the same location so there's there's a lot of things moving around here it's a relatively easy game to teach it's a game that a lot of people get into early it's usually one of the first co-ops people sit down to either this or a handful of other games we might mention here and it's pretty pretty generally liked because it's not like thematically it's it, the theme is there but it's not like in your face it's not too heavy and it's the components are pretty light. The box is small, and the base game is relatively basic. There's only a handful of roles to choose from. So what we wanted to do is take a look at a handful of the mechanics here. The set collection aspect, the variable player powers, because in the game, every player is going to have a different role that they'll play, which is kind of like a, a bonus. You can either move further or build faster or whatever it is. And then the co-op nature of the game, kind of what it's best known for, and share with you some games that are maybe not exactly like pandemic but kind of draw on those mechanics so if there's a certain part of this game you do like or that your group does like you can bring something else out and maybe give yourself a respite from the um yet another playthrough of pandemic all right so i know guys i know you guys picked out three games for each of your categories so uh whoever wants to get started and kind of share some of our picks for if you like pandemic try these ones so i think the most obvious place to begin is with what makes pandemic stand out which is the cooperative aspect of gameplay. Now, I'm just going to footnote that we're going to save one very obvious entry in this list for later because it's exceptionally special in this regard. Uh, so if you feel like I'm totally leaving something out, wait 20 minutes. And then if you still feel like I left something out, send your angry emails to Anthony. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Thank You're welcome. you. My uh, autoresponder will forward those to Daniel, so it's okay if you send them to me. I'm, I'm not going to lie, I, haven't, I, I 
I check my email for Board Gamers Anonymous about once a month. So I'll, you know, I'll see it eventually. <laughs> what I'm going to do with these, I'm actually going to point to three co-op games, or one of them's not quite cooperative, uh, but co-op style games that go in very different directions with the theme. Now, my, my favorite entry into co-op is actually to use Flashpoint. And I think that makes it an obvious entry in this list of, if you like Pandemic, try this. Because Flashpoint is accessible to newbies, like Pandemic is. In fact, I think it's more so. And it's also more charismatic, right? You've got these little figures you move around, you save people, and you see faces as opposed to cubes disappearing. There's fires and explosions and puppy dogs and a fire truck. It's awesome. Uh, and it scales in difficulty really, really well. Uh, Flashpoint is one of those games that can go from walking through a meadow on a pleasant evening through to walking through a meadow on a pleasant evening right before the nuclear reactor burns down and, you know, the end of the world. Uh, it really, anywhere in between those two extremes, it can hit that difficulty metric pretty much on the nose. Uh, so Flashpoint's a game I, I highly recommend you play if you like Pandemic, if you find that you like cooperative games. Now, another game that is a great cooperative game that goes in an entirely different direction from both Pandemic and Flashpoint is Mice and Mystics. Mice and Mystics, we've talked about a lot. Anthony and I both love this game. I first like this game. I don't think I know anybody who doesn't like this game. Uh, it's a great game to get a group started with. If you want to get like a weekly game group together, just sit them down to play Mice and Mystics once. They'll want to come back. They'll want to finish the story. Right. Mice and Mystics is this wonderfully narrative and thematic game where you travel through the uh, sewers of a castle as mice trying to stop the evil witch who has bewitched your father uh, or one of the characters' fathers. It's just a great time. It sounds silly. It is a little silly. But once you start playing it, uh, it's both great as a game and it's also wonderful just as an experience. Right? You get this narrative uh, weaving between you and it, that storybook feeling really brings you back, or at least it did for me. And now the last one I'm going to recommend before we go through the rest of our categories uh, is not a full co-op game. It's Dead of Winter. Dead of Winter is a great next step if you enjoyed cooperative gameplay, but you think that pure co-op's a little too simple. It allows for probably the best partial cooperation of any board game out there because there's a possibility though not a certainty of there being a traitor amongst you and due to the fact that all players have individual win conditions that will make them diverge from the good of the group it's not going to be clear who the traitor actually is so dead of winter is a great way to take this cooperative mechanic and spin it back just a little bit into the competitive realm for those players amongst you who feel like purely cooperative games are missing out. And I've encountered people who don't like pure co-op. Uh, and it's also just a great game on its own standing, which is why it's swept darn near every award for the last year at every convention and every meeting. Uh, so those are my three recommendations for the co-op games you should segue into after Pandemic. That's Flashpoint, Mice and Mystics, and Dead of Winter. Well, one of the things that I love about Pandemic is the variable player powers. Now, typically when you play a co-op, you've got a generic character just like everybody else, and you're doing your moves just like everybody else, and there really isn't anything different. There isn't anything unique to your gameplay. What I really find engaging is the opportunity to pick a unique character that's really going to shape the game. Now, Matt Leacock with Pandemic gave us these individual characters that are trying to help save the world. Now, depending on how you play, you can choose these characters randomly, or you can pick specific characters, or you can pick characters that would help you kind of face certain types of pandemics. So maybe you pick the quarantine specialist, or maybe you pick the medic, but whatever you do, you're going to get a character that's going to have a special ability. Now, when I mean special ability... I'm talking about a unique activation that affects the game that you and only you can do. So what I wanted to talk about is three games that take this variable player power to the next level. Now, Daniel mentioned some co-op games, and those games 
do in fact have variable player powers. But I'm going to take this a step further beyond the co-op into some other games you might be interested in. Now, the first game is a quasi-co-op in the way that Dead of Winter is, and that's Battlestar Galactica. So in Battlestar Galactica, you will be playing one of the roles on the Battlestar Galactica. So you could pick the president, Laura Roslin. You could pick William Adama, who is in charge. He's the military leader. You could pick Starbuck or Baltar. And each of these characters has unique player powers and abilities to draw unique cards that affect the gameplay. Now, this is very interesting because as the game goes on, these variable player powers does make you feel like you have a unique aspect, a unique skill to bring to the game to save the world, to save the team. And obviously, in Battlestar, you are trying to save the last bits of humanity, just like in Pandemic. So this game has wonderful richness to its player powers, and it really does give each and every game a different feel. Now, another game that really benefits based upon its variable player power is Cosmic Encounter. Now, in Cosmic Encounter, you're going to get a particular role. Once again, this could be variable, you could select it, but in general, each of these roles are very unique, and the player power affects everybody else in this game. Now, there is sometimes where you'll be cooperating, but most of the times you're in a competitive mode trying to take over the galaxy by collecting a number of different outposts on other worlds. So maybe you're the virus and you're able to kind of ramp up the ability to destroy because you're multiplying your attack power. Or maybe you're the void or maybe they're tyrant or maybe you're the pacifist. So each of these player powers once again, does give the game a unique feel, and based upon how they interact with the other player powers, really does give the game a really nice flavor. Probably the granddaddy of all kind of multiple player powers has to be Small World, but I'm going to talk about Small World Underground because I don't think it gets enough love, and I think when you're thinking about Pandemic, when you're talking about this kind of universal destruction of the world and all these darkness that's kind of spreading out there. I think you're thinking about Small World Underground. Now, what's really interesting about Small World, and especially here with Small World Underground, is you're going to start the game off with a special race. Once you choose this race, you're going to play that special ability. Now, you can be the Drow, you can be the Cultist, the Flames, the Kraken, the Gnomes, the Liches, the Lizardmen, all great types of races and powers. But at some point, the power's not going to be useful and the race is going to get sped up and the race is going to get used up. And then you're going to get to pick another unique player power. And as the game goes on, you'll be able to pick usually about two or three, sometimes four of these unique player powers. So if you're looking for a game with richness of different player powers, I can't recommend Small World Underground enough. It has some great characterizations, some great special abilities that affect the board and affect each other. And once again, trying to kind of save or control or take over that small world underground version. Anthony, what about you? All right. So the third mechanic we wanted to touch on is set collection as how you actually beat the game. During the game, you're going to be collecting various city cards into your hand and they all have a color on them. And the goal is to get at least five of those colors together um, in one person's hand and then be able to go to a research station and cure the disease. Um, so it's, it can be very challenging because you can only have seven cards in your hand at any point in time. And actually getting together in any one city and trading cards can be tough and make it hard to actually go get rid of those cubes elsewhere. So a lot of juggling going on for the set collection aspect. So there's three games I wanted to talk about, all of them using set collection as a major mechanic in the game, but in different ways, obviously, uh, kind of adjusting that formula depending on the type of game. And this is a mechanic you actually see in a lot of different games, and it's not—it's generally not the primary mechanic because it's such a kind of a common, uh, you know, used 
um, option in games. So I could have thrown a lot of games out there, including some games that might actually make it to this feature in the future. I'm not going to do those. I'm going to try to, I'm trying to be a little more uh, creative and find games that can stretch a little bit. But one that I think is really good and kind of fits into that entry level area. And a lot of people like it. Some people don't, but it's, it's a game that's easy to teach to any kind of new gamers. It's a unique game got a lot of buzz in the last couple of years and that's hanabi so hanabi is all set collection that's all you're doing you're trying to get all these cards into specific sets and score them out but the difference is is that you are trying to help it's cooperative everybody has hands or cards in their hand but they can't see them you can see other people's cards you're trying to communicate with them um, in very subtle ways in a very specific way um, and in a mechanic we've actually talked about a little bit before chris in terms of like where do you stop giving information and how do you set a line on that it does it can get a little frustrating but it is a very fun game if you get the right group together it's very heavy on the deduction side if you play it right it's a lot of fun and you get that cooperative aspect so if you've played pandemic and you want something new that has that set collection aspect hanabi kind of has that for you another game that has set collection to some degree and it's actually more of a stock building game but i really like how you build the stocks over time here is airlines europe um this game was recently reprinted here in the last year or so and as you play the game you'll be collecting sets of stocks as cards and those represent airline companies but you score different times throughout the game so scoring cards will come up out of the deck and those who have the biggest set of stocks for that company are going to get the most victory points um so the how you play the game is going to depend uh, on which stocks you're pulling and you're going to make sure you get the right ones you're trying to build a set of the ones that are going to have the most value for you and you're competing with everybody else to get those cards it combines a lot of mechanics into one game but that aspect of it the aspect where you're trying to pull all those different stocks together collect a set that's going to be the most valuable for you uh, depending on how many everybody else has is kind of the part that really got you know captured my attention and then the third game and daniel will like this one is Bonanza. Woo! <laughs> so Bonanza is Uwe Rosenberg's first game, I believe, um, if not first, very early, and it's completely unlike anything else he's done. It's different because it's a set collection game. It's basic. It's easy to teach. What you're trying to do is... So what you're going to do, you're going to have a hand of cards. You have to play those cards in the order that you draw them, but you're also trying to create sets that you can then harvest so you get the points from that. It's a unique use of the set mechanic. It works really well, though. It's really easy to teach. And there's a lot of different variations on the game that have come out over time. I think the newest version of the game actually comes with like an early German expansion that a lot of people really liked. And then there's some other expansions that have come out for it as well. Very fun, very basic game to teach. A lot of different ways to play. And then that core mechanic, again, you're trying to collect those sets so you can get more points than everybody else. All right. Well, that's three different outstanding things about Pandemic that you can explore in brand new games. So take a look at set collections, co-op games, and I don't know, my favorite, the variable player powers. And I think that you'll take your friends and family who enjoy Pandemic and kind of expand into new games and into new worlds. And there's one game that actually embodies all of these elements from Pandemic, other than Pandemic. What? I know, right? Well, it's about to be two. <laughs> Arguably three, actually. But uh, and, and it's essentially Pandemic all grown up. Uh, if you really liked Pandemic, and you liked all of Pandemic, and what you were really wanting at the end of the day was a lot more Pandemic, which is more complicated and more difficult than the original game, and perhaps a little bit more thematic, I suggest you take a look at the Defenders of the Realm. Get out of here. I know, I know. I'm sure I'm the only one who's ever made this connection. It's not like they're almost the exact same game. Defenders of the Realm is another great game that has all of these things in it. In fact, the only way it diverges from Pandemic is it's got a different theme, and it's a bit more thematic, and it is heavier. It is more complicated and more difficult. So it's really probably the best next step game from Pandemic if what you want after Pandemic is the same but more. Plus dice that gets everybody up cheering. Yeah! <laughs> right oh, before y'all die. Such a good game. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. It does hit all three mechanics. So you have the co-op. You're a bunch of adventurers defending the kingdom as 
four evil generals spread their evil throughout the kingdom, just like a pandemic. So you're fighting back against these kind of evil viruses. And then you have these variable player powers. So you get to pick, will you be the wizard or the barbarian or the healer or the seer? And you pick those variable player powers. And then you're collecting cards because you need to collect cards to get dice. So you can roll the dice against the evil generals, which sometimes doesn't work out well, but it's still fun. <laughs> As Anthony found out. Yeah, stupid dice. <laughs> It's still a lot of fun. That's when you know it's fun is when you roll the dice and you lose on that one roll and you're like, let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, we weren't even close either. Like we almost got rid of one guy or something. And we were. No, we got rid of one we guy. Got rid of one guy. Okay. We almost got rid of two. So yeah. we were not yes. even halfway through beating that game. And we're still like, we were so close, man. So close. <laughs> Just that. And then like. 60 more rolls went exactly how he needed them. We totally would have won. That's the joy of the dice, though, is that they could. They could do it! Just one more time. Ah, so good. Defenders of the Realm, the ultimate next step game for people who love Pandemic. Alright, so that's everything for this week. Be sure to keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com our guild on Board Game Geek. And if you think this episode was at least worth a dollar, please support us on Patreon. We really appreciate your support. Rate us on iTunes, on Stitcher, and get the word out to us. Our episode 74 is coming up, and we want to hear from you. Until then, this is Chris. This is Anthony. And this, you, you know what, Anthony? Why don't you do it for me? <laughs> and this is Daniel. <laughs> And we once again, and for the final time... He's already said this to you before. He's lying. (laughs) And we will save you multiple seats at the table if you can use your variable player power to cooperate with your friends and family and collect them in a set so that they can join us on our listener feedback episode number 74. Write it all together. Everyone's here. Anonymously. (laughs) 